Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. All right, all right. Why don't we uh, bring this on in? It's 5.32. Got to get this wrapped up in 28 minutes, so we we better make some good time. Um, It's lovely hearing us in-person conversating, all right? Like, I'm pretty excited to be speaking for our last service of the year um, until we're all locked down again or whatever happens like that. But we've got to appreciate it while we can. So look to your left and to your right and just be like, it's great to see one another in person rather than like a dehumanizing Zoom meeting. So enjoy it while you can. So hopefully this... Hopefully this delivers this uh, sermon this week. Uh, if you don't know, if you're new here, my name's Tim. I have the privilege of being an associate pastor here, uh, whatever that means. But it's a joy and it's a privilege and, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And it's been a good year thus far, two, three weeks in. And I hope it's going to be a good rest of the year. Like, uh, we, we're, time will tell. Time will tell. Um, Tonight we're continuing our summer series on unexpected journeys, which is a preliminary series that leads into our overall theme of this year, pilgrims, or this idea that all of us alive who call ourselves human beings are on the sacred journey we call life, but so often we just forget, you know, we get bogged down in the weeds of everyday reality, right? So um, I think the closer you are to uh, a clear understanding of your mortality, the more, the more about God it becomes, but I think in the midst of the hustle and bustle of everyday life, we can become a bit distracted and get focused on things like... Um, like normal everyday things, which is not bad, like mortgages and that kind of stuff. But ultimately, this uh, this whole life is a sacred journey, right? Um, when we remember it, right? Hence the phrase pilgrim or pilgrimage, which seems to be a long walk uh, and, and whatever comes with that. So I love the idea of unexpected journeys because uh, for me and for many of us in this room, faith has sideswiped us at some point, whether it's been, um, well, just there are a variety of, who knows? Who knows how any of us end up here in church. Sometimes it's family, sometimes it's an event, um, and we're just searching for meaning, right? But faith often sideswipes us, and then there's lots of twists and turns in the midst of that as well. And um, last week, I got to share about uh, my own journey, which is uh, through the lens of um, my own story, and then Jacob, the biblical character, who ends up wrestling with God, and he's cursed and blessed in that, and then he gets renamed as Israel. And I was exploring the idea that the people of God as in Israel, through that story, the people of God are not those who are blindly obedient, but are those who faithfully wrestle with God, which has been the journey of my life. Like, I, I'm, a, as you're, I'm, a, I'm a questioner. I'm a curious person, right? So for me, when I look at Scripture, it's um, Jacob, or who becomes Israel, that I find an affinity to. And we explored a thing, what that kind of looks like, and then I just shared some more stories about my 3-2 win-loss record. Um, McGregor's fighting right now, is he? Does anyone follow the MMA? I don't really follow the MMA. I... That's not a test, Um, but we'll find out afterwards. But it's mostly just an excuse for me to gloat about how I've won a few wrestling matches in person. But yeah, no, it was was a joy. I had fun. I had fun. And um, hopefully this um, leads on from it in in some way. Tonight, I want to talk about uh, keeping strange company. And um, what I mean by that is community, living in community, and I want to look at the disciples and what their community looked like, and that how Jesus kept strange company. And 
I think this is a big thing for myself. So most of the sermon is mostly towards myself. Um, I'd say it in the mirror to myself, and, and you guys just get to partake in that as well. So I hope there's something you can glean from that. But um, I think for me this week, uh, probably over the past year and a half, there's been a big wrestle between the ideals of community we want to have and the actual reality of what everyday community looks like, which is a lot messier. And, and we'll look in the scriptures for that and, and the how that can often lead us on unexpected journeys and meeting people we wouldn't usually meet and, and all that jazz. But I'm going to pray first. Ah, Creator God, what a joy it is to meet in person. And uh, none of us can claim to know the ins and outs of this universe or why things happen or why suffering exists. Or um, We're all limited in our scope for understanding reality. And we come here in that sense, in a space of humility and in a space of awe at the hugeness of you, and we pray that by your Spirit you speak to us just that little bit, and you lead us forward in understanding of what it means to try and love you, try and, and try and love our neighbor as ourselves. In your beautiful and mighty name, amen. Um, this may be like quite a vulnerable message for myself, so uh, if you've held me in high esteem, I, I, I may disappoint, if you, that's an if, it's a big if, um, that you potentially may be disappointed, but because um, I'm, I'm bearing my soul in a sense of the inner turmoil that I've been in over the past kind of year and a half. And there's a few uh, things wrong with me. Um, there's a few issues that I have, and it's particularly to do with people, and, and it's particularly to do with, um, like, I, I guess, what I've done with my life over the past 10, 15 years and trying to um, work in churches and, and small group lead and preach and all this kind of stuff. And mostly, yeah, like I, a few of the issues I've had recently is that um, last year was a strange one, right? And I think if I was to summarize it in like a millennial slash Gen Z phrase, I'd say it's just a can't even year. I can't even. Does everyone know the sentiment of that? Like, ugh, can't even or, uh, uh, yeah, so... Just when you can't even, you know, you're just exasperated or you're just tired. You just can't even towards the end of the year. And I think um, my can't even last year is like even leading to this exact moment right now is I'm really struggling to um, get on with people I disagree with on, on almost everything. Like I really am desperate for my own echo chamber and my own thoughts to be validated. And like I just, I don't have the pay, like the older I get, the worse I find myself being as a human being in the sense either I'm more self-aware now or I'm actually becoming a worse person no matter how hard I try. So I'm trying to work it out. But last year, I think it's just, it, it just was a can't even thing. Like it was, it's amplified by the polarization we see in politics and all the conspiracy theories and all that thing. And it's like, I, it just makes me want to implode and just hide away uh, in, a, in a cave, um, which would be biblical, but... Um, which, which we, we did get to do in lockdowns, which I was so thankful for. I think, I think the first lockdown, a glimmer of hope in the midst of it saved me from a burnout. I, I think it really did. Um, there's a thing called compassion fatigue where you're just so tired. And I realized that last year I spent the majority of the year trying to avoid any meaningful conversation with any human being because I just can't even, you know? Like, and maybe you're in a, you've been in a similar, similar, play, similar place. And, and I was just over it, you know? Like, I was just over it. And the new year switched over in 2021, and I just hope for the same. But we'll, we'll see. Not hope for the same, like don't want to see anyone, but like, no, the opposite. The, the year switched over, I was like, and I was really looking forward to like, I feel like I can care about people again, right? And then we'll see, we'll see that, how that happens. Um, 
So yeah, it's not good when you're in a you're you're in a pastoral profession to be trying to run away from everyone who's trying to talk to you. Like the the secret thing is like, oh no, I won't give you the the no. It's um. Oh, you just, <laughs> when you just hide out in the bathrooms before and after the service for a good five to ten minutes, or, like, or when it's like you just grab an item and you just walk really fast, just <laughs> like, we, we've all done it, maybe, I don't know. I, I, the clipboard's the best if you're at a festival uh, like RT in a lanyard, and a high-vis vest is even better, but um, I think, so that's a frustration, like I've been in a space of can't even with people and I just want my echo chamber. I don't want people who are different than me with their crazy thoughts and um, within a faith community as well, we, we are in a space where we actively believe things that are beyond uh, provability, so to speak. So we're predisposed uh, within uh, a faith tradition, not saying us, but the others, the others. Like we're predisposed to believe fairly crazy things without evidence, right? Like, and not saying nothing we believe has. I'm just saying that like there's some comorbidity between being uh, highly religious and not needing proof for truths. Um, no, this, cool. So this is the sermon. No, so this is still the introduction. Oh my goodness, this, we've got four pages to go. Uh, no, sorry, the big thing last year, I want to talk about this as well, is um, 2020, I think, oh, I've got slides, 2020 um, was in many ways a sacred disru- disruption uh, for, for many of us. And I say sacred not because I think that God's like, here's a pandemic, but um, if you look closely enough, or you, yeah, I don't want to get into theodicy here, but like, there is the opportunity to find some goodness in the midst of the misery and suffering and unknown, which was last year. And for me, um, I've come to see 2020 in many ways and the lockdowns, what happened, is it kind of exposed problems, but problems that were there the whole time, but in in everyone stopping and and just having nothing to do or nothing to prove or no busyness. The the image that I've had is that um, it's like the tide was going out and exposing what was underneath the water the whole time, and individuals' lives, and organizations' lives, and churches as well. So you see organizations using it as a time to make people redundant, or to cut staff, or you, you see it in individuals' lives, things flaring up that may have been there the whole time. And in churches as well, you see the issues coming to the surface um, that have been there the whole time, but are just exposed when we can't gather together. And you see it happen even now that people don't know what to do with church and an evangelical charismatic tradition if we can't come and sing together, right? And then you see in the States, I'm going I'm to go for it, just these movements of, you're not taking our right to sing to worship, which they mean by singing, exclusively singing and, and, and singing together. So they hold these rallies, super spreader rallies, which we're not doing tonight. We're not doing a super spreader rally, I hope. Um, but it was a holy disruption, right? So um, you're breaking through the rhythms. Many of us have uh, had years of church attendance or the rhythm of coming every week or um, these family traditions. And, and the issue for me is like I, I, 15 years in, I've been every Sunday, morning and night, two services in the mornings, leading, whatever, right? This is the, this is the longest break in those lockdowns from me not going to church. And instead of um, being there, we'd go on... Um, We'd go, Zoe and I would go on walks, or we'd have 
breakfast with our flat, right? We had a great bubble, and not everyone had that privilege, but we had an excellent bubble. And then um, we'd cycle in the afternoon. Just when youth was usually on, we'd just go for a bicycle. And the good thing is um, we live near Zoe's parents, and hopefully they're not tuning in. But um, of our parents' generation, their garages are filled with good intentions. So we got to use their two e-bikes to just traverse around the coast um, and, and kind of benefit off that. So like, it was just this weird thing of like, it's really nice walking the beach in the morning not being at church. It's really nice having some food. It's really, you know, like, did, uh, confession time. Everyone close your eyes. And I, I, like, did anyone else find this? It was really nice having a break. Like, yeah, okay. Everyone who actually has been a pastor, it seems, or like being a leader, it's like, oh, it was so nice. But um, I think it was a break of rhythm and momentum. And for me, when, when the levels started lifting, I, there was this dread of going back. And it was like, <gasps> Oh no, like you're not supposed to say this stuff, but I felt that, right? I felt that. And, and eventually I realized, so I've got a boys group, we meet every Wednesday and there's like six to 12 of us, right? And for me, I thought it was like I was just miserable in, in what I was doing in church stuff. And then I realized, so I'm like one by one, all the other guys, whether they're builders or teachers or everything, were like, I don't know if I want to be doing this anymore, right? Like I think there was that space made everyone think and reflect. I don't have the momentum of the past carrying me forward, so what life do I want to? live? What do I want to um, kind of do? And, and there's, there's a point there, right? The, the momentum of the past is gone. And then we get back and it's like, what are we, what are we doing here? Like, because the obligation potentially is gone, right? But there, and then there's a space of an opportunity to move from obligation to ownership, just in the sense of we're not carried by the rhythms now. For us in this room now, we're not, we haven't been carried by the rhythms of the past because we've had to choose or own the fact that I'm coming to church tonight, I'm coming to this, and I'm still working through this myself in terms of like, the big question after lockdown is like, what do we want to go back to? You know, do we want to keep things exactly as they are or do we want to ask, is there a better way to do this? Or, or can I be bothered? You know, I really enjoy those walks on the beach. So why would I go, you know, why would I leave the comfort of a Sunday evening at home watching some form of sitcom. Everyone seems to recommend Schitt's Creek, but I couldn't get past the first episode. It's a, it's a TV. It's S-C-H-I-T-T-S. It's a place name. Um, like, the, yeah, the Netflix binge is so tempting. So, so the question is, why can I be bothered with this? Why should we be bothered with this? What does it mean to come back to this? And I think 2021 in our lives, in um, our church, in our jobs, in our families, it gives us the opportunity to move from a space of obligation or the rhythms of the past to actually own the lives that we want to live and own the rhythms that we want to be shaped by. So within that, um, I have a, I, I, tonight, in Keeping Strange Company, I want to look at Jesus and, and how Jesus shaped his faith community or what Jesus' faith community looked like, right? So, uh, we live in a Western framework, right? And I've been dabbling in a lot of business books, right, which always talk about efficiency and growth and all this kind of stuff, right? And they don't necessarily translate too well to churches um, in terms of efficiency or effectiveness or growth, right? But So we're going to look at actually how does Jesus do this? How does Jesus shape his community, and who does he have involved? But before we get to that, I want to quote a bit of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, and it's a, it's a quote I've heard around a bit, and, and I've, I really love, because it says, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. And later on, he goes to say that those who love those around them create community. 
And, and for myself, um, I noticed that the, the Western frameworks or that business mindset of like, we're going to grow, here's our strategy, here's our structure, it so often helps us, it so often makes us create these ideals that we live by that actually make, us, make it toxic for the actual realities of what Christian community looks like. So I invite us, as we, um, as we reflect on the strange company that Jesus kept, I invite us to, to a sense of moving from obligation to ownership as we remember what Jesus' community looked like. And that we've got an opportunity tonight, as we ask, why can I be bothered with this? We have an opportunity to own what this looks like or what we're about here. Nobody's forcing you to be here. So, so what are we actually owning? What are we signing ourselves up for and being part of a church community? So, how does Jesus do it, and why is it good news that he does it that way? My plan A is to have a clear vision, strategy, structure, and purpose. It's to have systems in place to move people from a funnel strategy of attending through into getting the details. How can they become part of a small group? Then we'll teach them the details. Then they'll become part of a service team, our volunteers. And then through that, they will um, we'll work out their strengths, and then they'll function in a certain church role, and that would be really good. And a good thing with the funnel is it loops back around, um, so then it's just this perpetual growth thing, and then we'll start another campus, and we're really good, um, and we'll, to entice people in, we'll have excellent music. We'll have, is this resonating? Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. We'll have excellent music, and we'll have excellent preaching, good welcoming snacks, rosters. Um, we're not going to say it out loud, but we will measure church attendance, bums in seat. We will, we will measure how many people in home groups. We will measure how many people in the serving teams. And ultimately, it's not about this. It's about God's work. But we will measure tithing and how it's tracking up and down uh, within that as well. Um, and other KPIs, key performance indicators as a worship leader. Um, a good measure is uh, hands in the air, hands in the air. So you go for something like the stand, which gets the fans all the time. And if it doesn't, it's like feels... Yeah, okay. Or you... Um, Hands is good. Better is tears. Like, if you're getting tears, that's like, uh, like 1.3 uh, liters of tears every Sunday is really good. So, like, a 10 mil per person ratio. Um, and then in preaching, like, laughs. To be honest, like, like, this is just where I'm at. Like, you just get them laughing, you know? Like, get them laughing, and, and laughs will be the way. And that, that's a good Sunday, right? Um, so, that's my plan A. It's going to be nice. We want everything tidy, clean. Just a real slick presentation. We do need more lights. We do need a fog machine. I was wondering that because it's a bit too stark and sometimes a bit too fluorescent in here. So if we can get some more mood in here, that'd be excellent. The issue being that Jesus' way is completely different and is largely anti-church growth. Jesus, as soon as a church, uh, as soon as a crowd gathers, seems to escape into the wilderness. Jesus, when a crowd gathers, seems to say the weirdest stuff that you could, and everyone's like, "That's strange," and walks away. Right? So like. My way is this perpetual growth machine, uh, which is more of a product of Western capitalism than of scriptures. But Jesus' way seems to be this, taking this band of fools around, this company of fools um, who have all seemed to fail Bible college and end up and, and like, no, they did. They did. They, the Jewish people, the, the guys would study the Torah and you wanted to be a rabbi, right? They all failed. So they ended up fishing. Not that like, that's a bad thing, right? Most of us do fishing recreationally here. Most of the world has to fish to survive. That's the thing of, like, that's the sign of privilege when your hobbies are what people need to do to survive, like going on a long walk or going fishing or that kind of stuff, right? So um, I'll slow down. So (coughs) 
Jesus seemed to go around and as he walked, just say, follow me, follow me, follow me. And his markers wasn't who had the right degree or who had the right voice or anything like this. But his, the only thing for the CV application for, for Jesus' ministry was just saying yes to the question of follow me, right? So it was far more of a willingness than a skill set kind of thing. Um, he didn't even run police checks, which is very irresponsible. Um, Jesus' plan seemed to pick up all the people that would be excluded in my system of running church. All these people, they wouldn't have cut the mustard. They, they, they wouldn't have gotten in. Jesus' plan was to pull together this bunch of disciples, which means followers or means apprentices if you want to use um, some trendy language. It, it's a ragtag bunch of fools with nothing better to do and nowhere else to go. <laughs> they, they, I'm a fisherman here, or I just leave and, and follow Jesus and go on this adventure. And they're not unified in belief. They're not unified in politics. And they don't even necessarily like one another. So Jesus' followers, they didn't necessarily get along. They, did not get, they didn't get things right. Um, they're marked by everyday failures throughout the scriptures and continued failure the whole way through their unexpected journey. You've got Matthew, the tax collector. So tax collectors hated by the other Jewish people for um, joining in with the Romans and, and essentially extorting the Jewish people. So you've got Matthew there on one side. Then you've got Simon the Zealot, who is the opposite end. It's like, let's rise up. Let's take this by force. Let's, um, let's change the nation. You know, those enthusiastic conference speech, speeches would be given by Simon. You've got Judas the thief, the deceiver. You know, you've got, you got this person that Jesus knows will betray him. It's like, I, I, like yeah, like I, I, how many pastors have someone they know a little stabbing them in the back? Well, you know, like that's, that's Jesus' way. You got Simon Peter who denies Jesus. Vic talked about this morning, denies Jesus three times. And then on that strong, um, that str- the strength of his denial of, 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 of Jesus, he, Jesus then goes on you, on this rock, I will build my church, right? So, so Jesus takes this person who's just denied him and then decides to build his church yeah, it's more complex than that, but it's on, on Peter, right? These are imperfect people. You've got Thomas, Thomas the doubter. This is me. I'm, I'm much more of a Thomas. Like, I'm not much of a tax collector. I don't like accounts. Like, it's not my favorite thing in the world. But, like, you've got Thomas who just seems to just, like, yeah, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about this. He, Thomas, I'm sure, is a, a cynic, much like myself, a critic, much like myself, right? Like, these aren't people who are good at what they do. These aren't people who get, um, get it all right, like, the story of the disciples isn't a success story. It's a comedy of errors, and it leads, this comedy of errors somehow turns into one of the most, most transformative communities or ways of being that human history's ever known. And this comedy of errors that these guys have been on leads the majority of them to suffering and to their deaths. They're martyred. The, I think all but one of the 12 disciples is martyred, and Judas kills himself. So it's, there's not good endings to this kind of stuff, but this is the community that Jesus gathers together, this ragtag bunch of fools and messy people who wouldn't fit in um, what we'd usually think was a nice church structure, so to speak. Um, Jesus' plan is, is foolish, short-sighted, and reckless. He trusts the wrong people um, who will get it wrong. And he... He, his, his remarkable plan to transform all of the world is, is, is through the simple way of trying to love one another and love the neighbor, which these guys don't get right. And then they do, and then they don't, you know? And for us as well, our big plans for changing the nation or changing the community, right, it, it all just comes down to this trying to love one another a little bit better. So as we look around here, like this is the same company of fools, we're participating in the same lineage of a random bunch of people not necessarily unified in politics or beliefs or 
these, but we've just randomly come together all around the simple idea of when Jesus says, follow me, we stand up and we go, right? This brings us, this isn't an echo chamber, which is very frustrating. So when I ask, like, why be bothered with this? You know, why, why, why would we do this? Why would we, um, why would we sign up for this? I, I think it's important that we have some clarity around the difference between Jesus' plan and my plan, you know? Jesus' plan seems to include frustrating people, including myself. Jesus' plan seems to include difference. Jesus' plan seems to include failure throughout the whole way. And tonight, we, we have the opportunity as we reflect on this to move from obligation to ownership, to move from the obligation of hanging out with people different than us to actually owning this is what makes a healthy community, that there is diversity of people here. As we reflect tonight, perhaps we get to lay down our ideals of what we wish church should look like or what a faith community should look like. We can lay down those ideals and we can start to embrace the reality of what it actually is. And we can remember that Jesus keeps strange company. And if we're following the way of Jesus, we should be too. And looking out, I believe we are. So, stink. Yeah. With that, I would say that there's, um, there is some good news. There is some good news in this. I'm going to lift it. We've gone into, we've gone into the tomb, so to speak, and we're going to come out with the um, some form of light and hope, I think. There are some joys in having a church or a faith community structured in the way of Jesus, of, of pulling the people together who say, follow me, as a common ground. And I think I, I've, I've labeled, I have a Baptist tradition, so I've found three reasons, three reasons, three points of why the Jesus way is good for us uh, to remember and, and to be reminded to choose. First is the joy and inclusion in a B-plus church. Um, I really appreciate being part of a B-plus church. Um, and uh, I, I, like, we're definitely not an A-plus church, right? And I think that's the best thing in the world. I think that's the best thing in the world. The joy of a B-plus church, that means that you can be part of it, you know? The joy of a B-plus church means that I can be part of it, right? Um, in an A-plus church, you've got many spectators and very few people putting it on because you've got to have the skill sets to keep the A plus going, right? Like, so the jo- I, I, I'm from a B plus church, maybe B, maybe B plus. I'd say this is B, yeah, probably B plus, maybe hovering on an A minus some weeks, but no, I'm joking. I love, I love my former church as well. The, like, I only started preaching or worship leading or small group leading because there was no one else. Like, literally, it's just the last case scenario. Like, who's this random dweeb? Like, we'll get him up. That's the joy of a B-plus church. The gaps aren't filled. There's, there's so many holes everywhere, whether it's, like, musicians or welcomers or whatever. So it means that the unlikely people who aren't actually good at things can get a go and then maybe discover they're good at things, right? You always got to start somewhere. So it means that unskilled people like ourselves can give things a go and find us. I'm, I know we've all got strengths and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, there's a joy in a B-plus church because instead of trying to be perfect, we can just try and be good, you know? Instead of just, um, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, and efficiency. I'm going to bring some Western business strategy in here as well. A B-plus church is efficient because you spend 20% of the time getting 80% of the marks, right? Which actually hovers around an A-. minus. Like, which means we don't, we don't spend so much time and energy for that extra 20%. So it means that like resources, I think, are much healthier used and spread, you know? Uh, you don't have to pay full-time musicians um, and that kind of stuff as well. So in terms of business strategy sense, I, I concede B-plus church is a really good thing. But the key thing is you can take part in it, I can take part of it. It's not about perfection. It's about giving things a go, which seemed to be Jesus' way as well, I suspect. Um, 
Another thing, a gift of uh, Jesus' way of doing things. He just had a, I love the phrase, a company of fools. There was just a bunch of, a bunch of guys walking around, right? And, and like the continual failure of them and most of what they did reminds us that failure and flaws will be guaranteed as we try and follow Jesus as well, right? Like um, the transparency and transformation in the company of fools is a beautiful thing. It's an absolutely beautiful thing. Again, when you stop trying to be perfect, you can be good. And then because of that, you can finally be honest, right? So um, the reality is we're all munted in our own ways, right? And transformation really only starts happening. I think it's the first thing of the AA, right? The 12 steps. It's just being, admitting it. Just admit it. Like, so healing starts, transformation starts when we can actually just admit our flaws. And in a sense, there's, I, I know there's a scripture somewhere in it, but I've forgotten it for tonight. Like, I love a culture of honesty and transparency because it means that when there's stuff going on in our lives or there's uh, things and it's in the darkness and recesses of our, of our subconscious, yeah, or, or it means that when we've got a company of fools that we can be transparent with, it brings that which is in the darkness into the light. And often I've found that when things fester in the darkness, they, they seem a lot bigger than they actually are. But when you bring them into a sense of vulnerability and openness, the burden is shared and it, it seems to disempower them. It seems to disempower the maybes or what will someone think because it's like, oh, you've got stuff, i got stuff. That's awesome. The risk is, right, this is particularly a risk. In terms of like, transparency is a really risky one, particularly in terms of a pastoral position. This is more of a Tim Beringer's soul moment, right? Like, um, need a bit of water. How do I put this? The more you know me, the less you'll actually take what I have to say seriously. Um, because you'll just realize how flawed and human I am, right? Like, and in the same sense, like, the the more I know you guys, the less I'll trust you to do anything. Like, um, like, I say this, I say this because, like, I'm terribly afraid of being put on a pedestal because I just don't like disappointing people all at once. I'll slowly try and disappoint everyone just bit by bit. But, no, seriously, like, like, it's, it's a common trend. Like, like, a lot of pastors I meet, um, are so lonely and miserable, right? Because they're faced with this tension. Like, they, the, the congregation wants to take them seriously. So in order for that to happen, like, they're not perfect. So they just have to distance themselves. And then they don't have close friendships. And they have to live in a sense of isolation. And guess what happens when people are disconnected and isolated? They develop really destructive behaviors. And then, as we see all throughout, um, well, news media and stories of megachurches and stuff like this, right? The disconnection leads to a whole range of toxic behaviors to heal that, whereas connection and vulnerability and honesty leads to the disempowerment of toxic behavior as things are shared, right? So the tough thing in being a transparent company of fools is that people know you and won't take you as seriously, but then they actually know you deeply and, and you don't have to pretend, right? There's not so much energy devoted to keeping the masks on, right? Like, which is, yeah, which is never meet your heroes, right? Not pro, I'm not professing to be your heroes, uh, your hero, but like, ugh, I, it wouldn't work. Like, So, I mean, this is the, this is the awful thing. Like, uh, like, I'm blessed with, a, with, I mentioned it earlier, a boys group that we meet every Wednesday, right? Like, and it's probably... We can easily think we're better than we are, right? Like, like that, I, I'm so thankful for, for my boys because they don't really listen to anything I have to say. And they, like, they don't really ask either or they don't really care. I'm Tim to them. Like, I'm not, I'm not a pastoral figure. Like, and I'm so thankful for that, right? Because it keeps you grounded. Like, there's nothing like a good bunch of Kiwi males to, to, to tall poppy any form of arrogance out of you. So I would I really recommend, like, 
transparency with friends and transparency here, right? It would just save so much, save so much time and energy instead of pretending. Um, and then the, the final thing, and I think this is a, this is a really, um, I actually love this quite a lot. Uh, like the disciples are all different. The disciples are all highly different. They're highly different backgrounds, and they have certain strengths and flaws and weaknesses. And the diversity of the disciples reminds us that difference is important and is required. And this allows us, when we recognize that we can't do this all by ourselves, right? Like when we recognize that all of us are intended to be different and and, and play different roles, so to speak, we can move from comparison to collaboration. And Paul talks about this in, in, in 1 Corinthians before, just in the prequel to his whole thing on, on love in 1 Corinthians 13. He talks in 1 Corinthians 12 about this body of Christ and that some are hands, some are feet, some are spleens, some are um, appendixes, but they can be vestigial. Is that the phrase? Like, so I don't know what that means. Some, yeah, everyone's got a role to play. Some of the brains, some of the ears, some of the eyes, right? Paul speaks that actually everyone has a part to play. And he uses different language in other places. Some are pastors, some are prophets, some are apostles, right? And the natural tendency is always to make actually the hands are the best. Like if you're the hand of Christ, so to speak. But Paul reminds us that in that difference, in the diversity of the disciples, as Jesus gathers this ragtag bunch of strangers and they become friends and they've got different strengths, we're reminded that too, we will represent the body of Christ far better when we embrace diversity and when we embrace um, the differences, actually, the differences and the strengths of one another. And within this, uh, like the body of Christ is unified, not by hands and feet, but in that call that we all are trying to follow Jesus' call, follow me, right? That's our common ground. And in that, we can exercise different strengths. And I, I, practically, I found um, in youth stuff, in youth work or in young adult stuff, Things like strengths finders or Enneagram were like revolute Christian horoscopes, I call it, the Enneagram. Um, no, I'm joking. Am I? Who knows? Um, like, we're amazing. Like, so in teenage years, I don't know if it's an ego thing or if, I don't know if it was my own insecurity speaking, but I, I very much framed a lot of my life based around comparison or who was better at this or who was better at that, right? Like, when we discovered strength finders in terms of like, this is what you're good at, this is what you're good at, or Enneagram, that people have different frames of understanding or avoiding fear, this kind of stuff, right? Like, it moved any disagreements I had from saying this person was just disagreeing just to really get on my nerves to actually, oh, they see things differently. And they have different priorities, right? Like, and that was so transformative as a practical tool. Um, maybe I should have learned it years before, but it seemed to take me until last week to realize that, that people aren't out to get us. They just think differently than us. And, and when we can recognize that, we can work together and we can honor each other's strengths and abilities in different ways. And in a sense represent a stronger body of Christ. So from Jesus' way of pulling together a ragtag bunch of failures and flawed human beings like ourselves, we can be a B-plus church, which means that everyone can participate in it and hopefully do a good job. We can be trans- transparent and stop pretending and hopefully have the pain or the hurts from our lives be disempowered and experience real transformation. And finally, we can work together in a strong way and represent the body, the living, breathing body of Christ sustained by the Spirit in a very real way, in our own unique spaces, whether it's in business or sports or music or um, building or anything like that, that it all matters, it's all important. So we're going to um, take communion, and as we take communion, I've put it there, common union together, right? Because this is what it is. It's a remember, it's remembering we're in common union with Christ. As we partake in his body, we represent his body. We are what we eat, I believe is the phrase. 
As we talk about keeping strange company, I do invite us to reflect on why bother with this thing called church. And I do want to offer an opportunity that for you, maybe, maybe you've been frustrated. Maybe you've been like, why are we doing this? And I offer you in light of keep it, the strange company that Jesus keeps, that we remember what church should look like. And it will be messier. And I, I offer you a space to reflect on moving from a sense of obligation, like, oh, I can't be involved, to actually ownership of like, cool, everyone's got something to teach me, what can I learn? And I offer you a chance to surrender, perhaps your ideal of what you wished would be or should be with church. And, and to, in a sense, just be able to look up and embrace the, the messy human beings to your left and to your right, uh, to embrace what is around you. And perhaps as we take communion, we can remember that it is shaping us to be the awkward, the imperfect, the foolish and flawed body of Christ. I mean, we're trying really hard, but I think that's the reality of what it will be because it seemed to be Jesus' plan A was the way for this. So why don't we stand, and I'm going to read the liturgy, and then it will come up afterwards, the stuff that you repeat. And could I... Jackson, and Charlotte, would you want to deliver communion on this side and hand sanitize as much as you can? And then um, Nathan and Adam, would you like to deliver communion on this side? Perfect. Um, so I'll read the liturgy and, and then you'll repeat, then we'll, a song will start playing. And in your time, I, I would love to invite you to receive communion from um, my left and right, left and right. And then um, if we just go back to our seats and we'll just sit, there'll be a song playing in the background which speaks of this, speaks of the messiness of who Jesus calls to the table and then we'll all take together after I pray. So, the table of bread is now to be made ready. It is the table of company with Jesus and all who love him. It is the table of sharing with the poor of the world with whom Jesus identified himself. It is the table of communion with the earth in which Christ became incarnate. So come to this table, you who have much faith, and you who would like to have more, you who have been here often, and you who have not been for a long time, you who have tried to follow Jesus, and you who have failed, come. It is Christ who invites us all to meet him here, and all. Got the slide? Loving God, through your goodness, we have this bread and juice to offer which has come forth from the earth and human hands have made. May we know your presence in this sharing so that we may know your touch and presence in all things. We celebrate the life that Jesus has shared throughout his community. We celebrate the life has sh- we celebrate among his community through the centuries and shares with us now. Made one in Christ and one with each other, we offer these gifts and with them ourselves, a single living act of praise. Amen. Just when you're ready, feel free to come up and receive communion. Come all proud, come all greedy, come all liars, come all shame. Come all wealthy, come receive it to the table, come today. Come all broken, come all needy, come all poor, come all slaves, 
Come all rulers, come be seated. Come all sinners, come all saints. Come to the table from the red fire. Come from the shadows, come out of the dark. There's room at the table. We saved you a seat. Come to the banquet, come join in the feast. Every race. Every nation, come all rebels, come all gay. From the fringes, come to Jesus. To a table full of grace. To the table, come and stay. Come to the table. Come eat and drink. There's no inner circle Come die with the King Recline at the table Come let down your guard You're never a stranger Just come as you are So God, as we think of the body and the blood May you strengthen us and may we understand the energy as it flows through us from it reminds us that we too, in our own ways, together represent your body, living, breathing, moving in the worlds that we go into, the people we encounter. We remember you. We remember the path you put before us, that the world won't be transformed through grand plans, but will be transformed by everyday acts of love. Not just to those we get on with, but to those we don't. So move us in compassion and love and hope for the big picture, but also the little picture. The lives we'll go out to this week, the people and the faces we'll see. Remind us of this. Let's eat and drink. There's more still to feed. The harvest is ready. So go fill every seed. I'd love to pray to close. God, we give thanks that we can come here. We don't know what the next 24 hours will bring. But somewhere else in your scripture, someone better Bible studies would know it. It says that where two or more are gathered, there you are. So, regardless of the situation or outcome, we're reminded that your plan doesn't require Western-style church buildings, but it requires everyday acts of small love to whoever we come across. Your beautiful and mighty name. Amen. Again, another pleasure to share with you. Um, as part of the series, we are really keen to hear your stories as well. So if you feel that you're being moved in a certain direction or gone through a faith transition or even have an interesting story of how you came into faith, uh, maybe you got sideswiped 
we'd love to hear that and, and we'd love to offer the space for you to share it, just knowing that um, I didn't really mention this. Oh, no, this is the long sermon wrap-up. No, it's another time. We'd love to hear from you guys. Um, apart from that, be, have a blessed evening and kakitana. Awesome. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.